Good morning. For those of you who don't recognize me, my name is Kim Ronslaben, um, and our family has been a part of TBC for a long while, but if you're new, um, you're right, I'm not supposed to be up here. I know there's a couple of you who are new today. Dave Tate is our high school pastor, and he's usually up here, but um, for the next semester and for a little while longer, he's going to be in part of a rotation of pastors who are speaking at the main service, so he has asked um, some of us to fill in. So you'll see me a few times this semester. Um, I am not generally as intensely angry as I might look in the next 40 minutes. Well, okay, that's sometimes I am. If you'd like to join Impact, no. (laughs) For those of you who are wondering, we are meeting this week to start outlining Impact. So I am so thrilled that that's coming up. So, yeah. But what we're going to be doing here this morning is starting a series with Dave that Dave decided that to hear at the church... Hey, remember I'm on stage. Um, Here at the church is a place where you're allowed to ask your questions. That if you have questions about life and about this world and how it's supposed to work and how to view it, we believe that the church is the place that you ought to bring those because we believe that we have the truth. Jesus said that about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he told us he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, John 16, tells us is to guide us into truth. And then in John 17, he said the word is truth. So we believe that Christians that can come to the Bible and with the help of the Holy Spirit can get to the one who is the truth. So he's invited you to ask your questions, and he's taking the top of those. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be covering those. We're going to be starting that with today's question, which is the first slide. Why are Christians racist? Which is a really interesting question, isn't it? And I think that the person who's asking is wondering it because it doesn't seem debatable, so you'd wonder why we would be about that. It almost seems like like you would say, like, well, why do we worry whenever we have a God who knows us and loves us and controls all things? Why do we hoard and why are we selfish when we have a God who provides for us and gives us life and everything that we need for it? So why do we sin it all? would be a great question, and the Bible does address it. Read Romans, the whole thing. And then, so why focus in on racism? And I'm wondering if the person who asked the question, because there's no names on them, I'm wondering if the person who asked the question is asking it, because what they're thinking is, it seems so blatant. It'd be like saying, like, yeah, Christians really debate the sinfulness of adultery. Or, yeah, sex trafficking. I'm just not sure where I land on sex trafficking. Would be stupid. We know what we believe about those things, and yet it can seem like when events happen, like they've happened in the last year, which you may be coming awake to, but which many people in our country know have been happening for years, centuries, they can wonder how it is that Christians could be divided on these issues. And that's, I'm wondering what they're thinking about that, because when a man like Mike Brown is shot and killed by a white cop. Everyone, just anger exploded. We saw riots happening. And when the grand jury didn't even bring back an indictment on it, just to get him to trial, just to see what happened, everyone, everyone in that area just exploded. But then add on that weeks later, a man in Staten Island on YouTube is choked to death in front of us by an illegal chokehold and you can't even get an indictment on that, things erupted. 
And conversations are starting because people don't really know what to do with this. And how is it that we could find ourselves on either side of the line? It seems so obvious to so many that what happened there was wrong. And truthfully, if we knew that that man was choked to death simply because he's black, I don't think we'd have an issue. But racism is more complex than that. It's deeper than that. Racism, at its most fundamental level, begins with something that you and I do all the time and we don't even think about it. It starts with classifying people. It starts with looking at them and saying that you know something about them because you see something of them or you know a fact about them. It can happen when you group people because of things like um, money or because they're male or female, or because of where they live, or because of their language, or because of their dress, because of their religion. Anything can be used to classify a group of people to say that you know something about all of them because you know something about one of them. Racism happens when you take those classifications and you place them there because of nationality, ethnic reasons, the color of someone's skin, the nationality they come from, the country they come from, anything like that, when you start profiling people in that way, separating them out, saying you know something about them because you know something about where they come from or about the color of skin, or you know one person that has that color of skin, so you can say something about all of them, that's profiling. We do it all the time. We say things in America all the time like this. We say them. We say things like Asians are just good at math. Or we say that black guys are faster than white guys. And even as I say that, you're like, well, duh. (laughs) Right? You profiled. Here's the deal. Profiling is the seeds of racism. Profiling people, saying that you know something about them, even when you think you're paying them a compliment, takes away that person's individuality. It means you don't have to see them. You don't have to get to know them. You know something about them simply because you know one thing about them, even when what you're saying is a compliment. And it happens all the time. But when it goes negative, when it starts to become negative profiling, it happens just like it happened to a friend of ours just a week and a half ago. He got out of his truck, and he started to walk off, and a guy came up to him and said, hey, is that your truck? And he's like, Yeah, and he's like, well, I was just checking. He's like, why are you just checking? And the guy said, because black people can't afford trucks like that. Never mind the fact that he's a receiver in the NFL, right? Or happened right here in Texas, in East Texas, a black man was pulled over four times in one hour on his way to play his sold-out concert. That's Lecrae. It happens all the time in today's age right here where we live. We hear it from the guys in our lives. If you follow me on Facebook or on Twitter or you are on Instagram, you will see our family is surrounded by young black men, Hispanic men in our lives. Some white guys too. But it's not generally who's at our house. And we love them. There's about nine. It keeps kind of growing to 10, 12. And they come over all the time. And they just casually tell stories like it's no big deal. Casually tell stories like this is just their worldview. This is just what life is like for them. 
They talk about people and they'll be in the mall and they'll be walking like three of them down a mall and he'll become a group of three white people and they will literally cross to the other side, the white guys will cross to the other side until they get past them and cross back. Happens all the time. They get pulled over wondering whose car this is. Happens all the time. Just profiling. What's he doing riding in that car? He is classified as someone who shouldn't be in that car. I don't think anybody's thinking, let me see how maliciously evil I can be today. They just have a grid that they're filtering the world through. They're not even thinking about. And that's what happens to us. One of my guys, we came home from Ukraine. I asked him where he had gotten a job. I knew he was looking. He said, I hadn't been able to get one yet. What happened? I haven't gotten any callbacks. My daughter goes with him. He gets a job next day. White girl walks in. Manager's happy to talk to her. Hadn't gotten a callback from anybody before that. Is that just a coincidence? Possibly. But when you add those stories to each other, can you see that there's a group of people who may not think we're as past this as we in Central Texas might like to think? And I want you to know that it's happened on both sides of the equation. When I show up to football games and I'm surrounded by all of our guys, sometimes the mamas don't like that because they call me mom slaving. Isn't that fun? They, they want to know what this white woman is doing. I get classified. They think they know something about me because of my race. But here's the deal, guys. This has been happening since there were people groups. We're not new. We're not, we're not so sinful. This isn't just us. The, the pyramids were built on the, black, on the back of racism. And even God's people. You remember the ones in Israel, right? Moses gets out of Israel for 40 years. He lives in the wilderness, right? And he marries a woman his sister doesn't like. And the Bible tells us why. She was a Cushite, not an Israelite. Racism pops up. By the time of Jesus' life, in the middle of Israel, there's a whole place of people that the Jews would not even go through the, the area, wouldn't speak with them, wouldn't eat with them. They were unclean to them. Even though God had told them, I will bless you to make you a blessing to every nation. Well, okay, they're thinking, yeah, every other, but not this one, and surely not those people. By the time Paul is writing most of your New Testament letters, he has to address racial pride again and again and again because of people like us on both sides of the equation, Jews and what they call Gentiles, who looked down on each other, were suspicious of one another. But then it got worse. And we're going to start in that passage. It got worse because all of a sudden, it wasn't just somebody like you and me doing this. This was an apostle one of Jesus' closest disciples. This was Peter. So if you have a Bible, turn it open to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians is going to come. There are Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll find Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. Again, this is Paul talking. You're going to come to the name Cephas, another name for Peter. Here we go. But when, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated themselves, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him 
so that even Barnabas is led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, why is it that you're trying to make the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Okay, here's the situation. They're in another town. There's this group of Israelites, Jewish men, who had become Christians. And then there's these people called the Gentiles, non-Jews. The Jews had decided that because Jesus was a Jew first and then a Christian, that everybody has to become a Jew, look more like them before they can look more like Jesus. Well, here's the deal. They start hearing, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And the Gentiles started to think they were a little bit above the Jews who had it all wrong. So now we've got racial tension on both sides. Paul is with Peter, eating with Gentiles, teaching the Gentiles. All of a sudden, James, who's actually Jesus' brother, who was not a believer for all of the Gospels and came to know Christ after Jesus' resurrection. So James is now sort of the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he sends men of what Paul says here as the circumcision party. That simply means these are the men who kind of still thought that you needed to become a Jew before you became a Christian. These guys show up, and Peter, who's been eating with Gentiles and fellowshipping with them and teaching them about Christ, all of a sudden, he won't even, he doesn't even like, he doesn't even know who they are. And all of the other Jews who were with him, even Barnabas, and the reason we say even Barnabas, is Barnabas was the guy who took in Saul of Tarsus, that if you heard Dave speak about, he's the only guy who convinced the apostles to let Saul come into their group. The the apostles wanted nothing to do with Saul. They were so afraid with him. Now he's Paul and everybody loves him, right? But when he watches Peter pull back, notice what he says. He doesn't say that it's wrong simply because it's wrong. He doesn't even say that it's wrong because that's not a good thing or because that's not what Jesus said. Notice what he says in verse 14. It should be on the screen in the next slide. Verse 14 says this. If you write in your Bibles, underline that. Because it's not in step with the truth of the gospel. Guys, that's our, that's our standard for absolutely everything in our lives, for every action that we do, for every word that we speak. It's whether or not it lines up with the truth of the gospel. There, there are truths that the gospel displays, and our lives are meant to be lived in step with those truths. On a side note, though, Let me just tell you that there are many women in my life, women that I get to meet with and talk with and and try and disciple them in the truths of of the Bible. And over and over, for those who are raised in the church, there's this one thing I sort of have to show them over and over. And since here you are in high school being raised functionally in the church, I want to make sure you hear this so that you don't grow up to say, I had no idea. So here it is. When you were saved, if you're a believer, you were saved not simply to go to heaven to be with Jesus someday. He saved you and joined you into a people. And those people are his representatives here. They are to look like him, speak like him, breathe like him, act like him. You are meant to be, as C.S. Lewis put it, a little Christ upon this earth. So that when others see you and they meet Jesus, they're not supposed to get confused. They should be able to see Jesus and say, no, I do. I knew you were like that. I knew you were that compassionate. I knew you were that loving. I knew you would reach out to me. I knew you would accept me. 
because I knew Maddie. I know, I know Riley. I know Gabe. I know you because I've seen these people, your people, living you out on earth. When they read the Bible, they're not supposed to pull away from the Bible and go, oh, that can't be right because I know you. You're meant to be the living, breathing representative of Jesus Christ. Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5, you're God's ambassadors. You stand for him. You speak for him. That's the truth of your life. And he put it in some very familiar verses, but we're not hearing this part of it. So the first one's going to be on the screen, Galatians 2.20. Many of you know this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Hear that? It is no longer we who live. Who lives in us? Christ, who lives in us. Another one, Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined them to be what? What's it say? One more. Conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to the image of his son. You were saved to stop looking like you to stop talking like you, to stop feeling like you. You were saved to be like Christ. And we screw that up a lot, don't we? Let me ask you the truth. I start following you around in order not to get to know you, but to get to know your God. How would I do? If you're like me, you'd have quite a few places where somebody like Paul would need to show up in our lives and condemn us to speak to us because our lives are not in keeping, not in step with this gospel that we say we know. I say this in all seriousness, guys, because this is the basis upon which your actions are judged right and wrong. Why is it right that we do some things and wrong that we do others? This is it. It's not because there's some little random law in there and you're supposed to keep it now but because our lives are meant to be lived in conformity with Jesus Christ. That, those lists of things in the New Testament, things like be kind, be generous, don't be angry, don't covet, don't be jealous, they are your new to-do list, but the only reason they are is because that's what your Savior looks like. He is kind. He is not jealous in the way we use jealousy. He does not covet. He is not idolatrous. He is not angry. He is a God of peace. Be a person of peace. Those lists are simply the character sketch of your Savior. That's the one you're supposed to be conformed to. And every time you sin, what you do is you break out of His image and you start to bear the image of dust again. I want you to see this because as we turn to look at racism, nothing has changed. We don't throw out that grid and suddenly take on another set of rules for ourselves, things we need to go do and things we need to go stop. We do need to do them. We do need to stop them but for the right motivations from inside of you because you've seen Jesus differently. So here's the deal. Why is it wrong to separate ourselves from another group of people simply because of the color of their skin or nationality or where they live or what they look like? Why is it wrong to see one young black man be violent or commit a crime and all of a sudden you're walking away from another young black man? Why is it wrong that we would see a Middle Eastern man do evil to a white man on a YouTube video and all of a sudden we're glaring at Middle Eastern men? Why would we see one lazy woman of a certain nationality and decide we're never hiring anybody else of that nationality 
Because she looks like that one we know. We know how they are. Why is it that we would feel superior to people, that we would look down on people? Why is it wrong? Because that's not the truth of who Jesus is. That's not what he looks like. That's not the truth of the gospel. Listen, you just celebrated Christmas. What I just named is not the truth of Christmas. You want to know who's really different than you? Jesus. You want to know who doesn't look like you and doesn't sound like you? You know who's richer than you and far more powerful than you and far smarter than you? He has to use like baby words just to speak to you. Then he's got to change your mind and your heart just so you can understand him. He is so far above you and me that if he made us a slave in his kingdom, we would be honored. If he brought us into his kingdom and just gave us menial chores and told us we could come visit him like once a year, we would beg for the privilege. That's how high and exalted he is. But that's not what he did. Ephesians chapter 1. This should be a slide. Ephesians 1. God chose us in Jesus before the foundations of the world that you might be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption as sons, so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's what he said through Jesus Christ, Romans 8, among many brothers. He didn't make you a slave. He made you one of his his brother and sister. He, He brought you into the family. He gave you his own father. He is the one who came as a slave. He didn't ask you to be it. He became it. He became the lowest of the low. He took on poverty. He put on on, on like lowliness. Nobody even saw him as anything worthy of anything. He was the one everyone looked down on. And then he went lower than that and became a criminal for you. He died on a cross. He bore your shame. He did all of that to make you an exalted son and daughter of his father. And what, you're going to take that? And you're going to turn and go look at another person and because they're different from you, you're going to look down on them. They're what? They're because of the way they dress? Because of the way they look? Because of the way their color of their skin? They're not worthy to be in your life? You get to make fun of them because of how much money they have? Where they live? Just because of the color of their skin, they're not allowed to date you? You're so high and exalted that you don't get to date someone because of the color of their skin. They're not invited into your home. They're not invited to be your friend. It's okay to play with them on sports, but not invite them into your life because they're good at that. Guys, do you hear it? That's not what he looks like. Do you see that? It's not what he looks like. So it's not what we look like. Because of Jesus, you have an identity. You have significance. You have dignity. He has granted you those as a gift. And to have it and to turn and not give that out to others, it's wrong because it's not in keeping, not in step with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are humans. They share your ancestry. They share your blood. They bear in their body simply by breathing the very image of God. He has already granted every person on the world, in the world, believers and non-believers, significance. 
They look like nothing else in all of creation. They are the pinnacle of all creation, even if they don't love your Savior. They are worthy of dignity for who they are and who they stand for on this earth. They are worthy of being seen by you as being significant, as being singled out. You didn't just see like a black man, a Hispanic man, an Asian. You saw that person who is in the image of your God. They are worthy of your time, of your attention, of being seen simply because they're breathing. But hear me. If they know your Savior, they are worthy of full acceptance by you, full fellowship by you. They are worthy to be brought into the family of you because they are already your family members. They already belong to Christ just like you. And in Christ, there is more in common with us together in Christ than race, class, money, anything could ever separate us, could ever divide us. They deserve to see you here as brothers and sisters because you will be with them that way for an eternity. That's what he looks like. So go and do that now as you will do it for an eternity in heaven. Like you, though, everything I said, many Christians know that like if you say the name racism, that's wrong. They know racism is wrong. They're committed to policies and laws and equal opportunity things and hiring practices. It's like they get that. It's the next level that we kind of get so wrong, that next level of day-to-day living. We pass by them, but we don't live with them. They're around our lives, but they're not in our lives. We keep ourselves separated. And I just shake my head about this at myself. Because here's the truth. Back in 2002 or three, I traveled to Nigeria for three weeks on my very first mission trip. And I came back and came awake to the realization that I now loved more black people across an ocean than I did in my own hometown. Pathetic. And I was blind to it. I mean, I knew black people. But I mean, I came home with a passionate love for them, a delight in them, believers and non-believers, tribal people that I was praying for and begging for and would have gone back to see again and again. And I wouldn't go where, like five blocks? I was an idiot. I'm a blind, racist idiot. But I want to be different. And by God's grace, he's changing my heart out of what I used to be, out of the ethnocentric viewpoint that I used to have, and he's changing me into his likeness. I want to be different. Do you? Because if you do, I want to give you some pointers along the way, things that God has shown me. There's going to be four of them, and they're going to be on the screen. The first one is this. Search yourself, don't defend yourself. And I should have added first. Search yourself, don't defend yourself first. When confronted with someone who says you're wrong, find all the ways they're right before you start naming off all the ways you're right. Find all the ways they're saying into your life, I think you have a problem here before you ever start saying, no, I don't have a problem with this. Does that make sense to y'all? We're horrible at this. We're horrible at this. When I say things like, 
I loved more people in Nigeria than I did in my own hometown. We say things like, well, yeah, that's because of the kind of black people that are here. We immediately come up with like an excuse to justify ourselves. As if they're the real problem, not me. You know how they are. Instead of being willing to search out my own heart. David said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know me. Try me. See inside of me. See if there's any sin in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We do not like this. People come up to us, you hear something like this, and your brain, the whole time, your flesh will rise up trying to convince you this is not really your problem. This is not really, it's those people. Yeah, we need to pray for those other people, those other Christian races. I don't have any of this going on. Pause. Be reflective when people bring this up to you. Why do we do this? Why do we so push away the knowledge, the searching out of sin in our lives? Well, I think one reason is we're still so afraid of sin. It's almost like if we heard somebody say that a comment we made was racist, that somehow that would say something new about us. Like that's not really who we are. Because we don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. I want you to understand that you are going to be a complicated mix of sin and holiness until you see Jesus face to face. But listen, though your sin is real, Christ's salvation of you is more real. Though your sin is true, Christ is truer in you than that sin. That sin is dying already and will be gone forever. So that when someone says to you, you're a liar, or you're a racist, that was a racist remark, you don't have to get offended by that because you already are that. You have been a liar since you were born. You have been racist since you were breathing. That profiling thing is a part of who you are in the fall. But here's the deal. Today, if you know Christ, you are less racist than you have ever been. But because of His grace over you, His commitment to you, because of that, you are far more racist than you will be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We are far better today in Christ than we've ever been. But don't be afraid of searching the sin in you to be far more like Him in the future than you will ever be. So here's the thing. When someone brings up a sin in your life, parents, which I know you hate... Teachers, not a fan, I know, but friends can tick you off more, can't they? I can't believe he said that about me. I can't believe she said that about me. Stop defending yourself. Think about it. Thank them for bringing it to your attention. Tell them you will think about this. Tell them if that's true of you, you want to turn away from it. Because you know who you are. You are a weird, messed up mix of good and bad just like everyone else but Jesus. This is who we are. Take it, and when you find it, repent of it. Secondly, listen well and do not discount people's experiences, their perceptions. Here's what I mean by this. By the way, this is something you're going to need to know in general, in every relationship. Gentlemen, you will want to pay attention to this at certain times of the month for your wife's sake. So hear me well, note to self. Ready? When dealing with situations that don't happen to you, 
try to be careful not to discount their perceptions. Here's what I mean. We who are white and who are in the majority can never look at a minority and say, oh yeah, I know exactly what it's like to be you here. I know exactly what it's like to be Hispanic in Temple, Texas. You have no idea what it's like to be Hispanic in Temple, Texas. You have no idea what it's like to be Asian here, what it's like to be black here, what it's like to be Filipino here. You have no idea. You won't know unless you listen to their experience because it's not your experience. So many times we hear and we like automatically tell them our feelings about it. They tell us about how they're feeling about Ferguson. We're like, well, here's how I'm feeling about Ferguson. You don't discount them or hold your experiences the same. Listen to them. Hear it. Don't tell them how you feel about something until you listen to how they feel about it and receive it. So many times we dismiss it. A situation happens like Eric Garner being in a chokehold. And so many white people said around me personally, and then on Twitter and on Facebook, were like, yeah, well, I wonder what he did. Because white people view authority as generally good. We know there's some bad people out there, but generally they're on our side. But that's not the experience of blacks, for example. They have a history of oppression. Their grandparent, their grandfather, was lynched for looking at a white woman. In my hometown, where I graduated from high school, one of the first stories I ever heard when we moved to that town was that burned-down house. Now, that was a black family who tried to move in. They didn't last long in this white school district. That's my history. This is our place in Texas, a town with people very much like Temple. This, their history has oppression and has fear in it. They don't view these situations the same way. But what if they're actually getting the facts wrong? What if somebody comes up to you and they accuse this situation or you of racism and you're just thinking that's just not right, that's just not true? What if you're just thinking it's just an honest mistake? You don't really think he meant it the way they're taking it. Here's what I would tell you. And I'm going to tell you this. You know this already. You identify with the pain even when you can't identify with the facts. Hear me? You identify with the pain even when you can't identify with the facts. And here's why I say you know this. Right now, up in the nursery, there are a whole bunch of screaming babies who are being pushed around on little red buggies, right? Now, one of them may have fallen, and that's why he's hurting. Another one may be sick, and that's why she's crying. But for a lot of them, if you've ever seen them up there, that has nothing to do with why they're crying. They're crying because though we kept saying to them over and over, you're fine, you're fine, baby, you're fine. Mama will be right back, you're fine. That's not their perception of their reality. So what you do is, and take note, you just go up to them and you tell them you're wrong. And you start telling them all the reasons they're fine. And they just stop crying. No, they bite you, right? And rightly so. Why do they bite you? Because you didn't act like Jesus. And here's how I know. This verse is not even on the screen because it's so short, you're fixing to memorize it. Romans 12, 12. You ready? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what he's like. Guys, you have a God of compassion. You have a God who reaches out to you. You know why? All that stuff you keep freaking out about, seniors, 
He sympathizes with you. All those tears, ladies, that you keep crying, even when your perception of the situation is off, God weeps with you. And I mean it. Do you know how I know? God wrote it down for me. Shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. But we forget the context of that verse. He's with Mary and Martha. Right now he's standing with Mary and the other Jews, the Jewish women who are outside the tomb of their brother Lazarus. He has been dead four days after they sent a message to Jesus. He's dead. He's in the tomb. It's too late to do anything. And here comes Jesus. Well, what's the end of the story? Lazarus raised from the dead. Yeah. Did Jesus know he was about to do that? Yes. Smart guy. But hear this. Hear this verse John wrote down in chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, hear what he was like. He was deeply moved and greatly troubled in his spirit. Why? Why didn't he just look at him and go, what are you crying for? Didn't I tell you to trust me? He knows that their perception of this situation is wrong. They think death has won. He's like, this is fun waiting to happen. But they don't get that. So Jesus doesn't stand back and go, get your crying over with, and I'll step up. He doesn't stay distant from it. He doesn't even say, watch and look at this. He gets deeply moved and greatly troubled because of theirs. Guys, you serve a God who feels your pain. You have a God who weeps, not because he has anything to cry about, but he weeps with you. That's his image. So what do you do? You bear that image on this earth. Others looking at you and they can say, I know he's a God who weeps, not because he thinks I'm right, but because he thinks I'm hurt. You have compassion. When I first married Wayne, I needed this so badly. Because there were so many situations in our lives. Okay, think of a number scale like 1 to 10. Imagine that one time he throws me a 2, right? He says something that's like a 2, but I come at him like it's an 8. Right? Nothing that was happening in me was based in my reality. There was one time, we were just dating, we were headed up to a wedding that he was in, and we had a flat tire in his truck as he's driving. He pulls over, gets out to look at it. When he comes back to the cab, I am a shaking, crying mess with my eyes closed, telling him how sorry I am. Why? It had nothing to do with that day. It just tapped into an old memory. Old scenes were in my life. I was that little girl again. There was another time I'm laying in bed. We're married. I'm reading a book. Wayne comes in, sits down on the bed, and I freaked. I literally told him, you cannot do that again. And he's like, sit on the bed? (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) You know, he's thinking, that's going to be a challenge. (laughs) I can high jump into the bed, I guess. Generally, I said. But that's not what he said. Here's what he said. I'm really sorry. Because he knew that in that moment, he wasn't dealing with a woman basing her life in her reality. 
He was dealing with a woman who carried baggage with her. I carried the six in me. All it took was a one to get a seven. Give me three, I'm at a ten. You would think the world was collapsing. Guys, this is who you are too. And this is who they are. Their history, each individual that you meet carries things into the reality you're meeting them in. And we meet them there because Jesus met us here. We don't meet them simply because it's the right thing to do, though it is. We meet them because He met you in your reality. He didn't stay distant from it. He still doesn't stay distant from it. We have a sympathetic high priest, Hebrews tells us, who sympathizes with us in our pain, in our temptations. He stays with us. So you stay with them. Racism is real to them. Don't discount their perceptions. Third, and search out others who are not like you. Search out others who aren't like you. Again, don't do this because it's the right thing to do and you found your new checklist. You do it because this is what God is like. He proved it not only with the sending of His Son, but all throughout the Scriptures. Here's the principle that this one goes with. Those who have power are meant to use it for those who do not have power. Those who are wealthy are meant to use it for those who do not have wealth. Those who have are meant to reach out to those who have not. And I don't mean some socialist system. I'm not telling you what the government should do. I'm telling you what God's people should look like. We're a family. We help family. So, those who in Israel's time, who were aliens, strangers, sojourners, widows, orphans, the marginalized, those in the most vulnerable places, were meant to be seen by Israel. The power they had was not meant to gain them more power or more power for their friends. Over and over in the Bible, God condemns His people because they used what He gave them for themselves. That's not what He looks like. Christ doesn't take his power, keep it for himself and for the other members of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets more and you get nothing. He uses his power, he uses his possessions, which is everything, for your benefit. He gives to you, so we give to them. We go to them. You go to people who live next to you and are just like you, and you go to those who live next to you but don't look anything like you. And you press out to those who are suspicious of you and those who live in completely different contexts than you are, even if it's five blocks away. And where do we go from there? You just keep pressing from Jerusalem through Judea to Samaria until the ends of the earth know what he looks like, not just from his message. I do want you to shout it from the mountains. I do want you to scream out that he's your God. But when you get off that mountain, it should look like he is. Does that make sense to you? Your life should be lived in conformity to what the people of God are supposed to look like. The Son, Jesus. Okay, and the fourth one. As you go, and as you sympathize with them, and as you stand for them, and as you right wrongs in the world, and get to know people, don't be simplistic. Here's what I mean by that. It is not love black people and hate white cops. It is not that well, all of a sudden we go from, you know, white supremacist to black power. 
It doesn't work like this. We don't love one group of people by hating another group of people. Don't profile anybody. Don't profile white people. Don't profile black people. Don't profile Hispanics. Get to know the people individually in your life. Galatians 6 says this. It won't be up there. Galatians 6 says this. As you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. As you go through your life, see those people. I'm not calling you to an outreach to every Asian in America. But as an Asian walks by your life every day, you've seen them every day. They pass you. You're English to history. You see them every day. This time, see them. But as you get to know their story, and let's say they say to you something like, like you're the first person to talk to me here. Everybody talks to each other, but nobody talks to me here. You don't go, I know, I hate those people. All you people. Everybody else we hate. No, you don't turn from one group to hate them. Listen to both groups. So then how do you know who's right in a certain situation? Here's the hard part. That's why it takes us forever to get to be his image is this. You cannot worship and become like what you do not see. If you don't see Jesus, you cannot become like his image. It'd be like me asking you right now, would you please draw me a picture of the Mona Lisa? And generally, you know, it's a woman... Maybe brown hair. She's smiling. Oh, no, it's a weird smile. I wouldn't eat, like, I don't know, and maybe some trees. I don't know what it is. It's something like that. And here's the deal. I've seen it in person. It's tiny, by the way. It's like this big. And it's a thousand people ready to see it. You get up there and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I saw on Google. Great. And you move on. But if you, that was years ago. So if you ask me now, like, draw the Melissa, I'm like, oh, just picture brown hair, da, 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 da. But it, that's the way it is with Jesus. If what you know is like, yeah, I have all these stories when I was growing up in church. Yeah, I've heard this story and that story. I know this about him and that about him. I think he's generally like this and not like that. Guess what you're going to be like? Sort of like him here and not really like him there and a little bit like this here and not over there. You get a vague image in your life because you have a vague Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus looks like, you have got to go to the Word of God. You have got to go to the truth of who God is. And when you get there, read it like it's actually true. I'm going to say that again because it's going to shock some of you. When you read it, you're supposed to actually nod with it that that word is truth, not somebody's opinion that you think is debatable. Yield yourself to his word because he is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Read it like it's actually true. And as your gaze sharpens on who Jesus is and what he's like, then as you leave the word with the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you into that truth, you will become more like him because, as First John puts it, you will see him like he actually is and not like you're making him up to be. Don't be simplistic. You have to know him to be like him. But here's the deal. Last point. What if you search yourself? And what if you're not simplistic? And what if you hear people's experiences and you don't discount their perceptions? And what if you reach out to those who are like you but you still have a problem? And hear me, I know I'm speaking to some of you in truth because I know your lives. What if you do all of that but you still can't actively really put this into your life because your parents won't let you? And I'm not kidding. 
What if you decide to ask that black girl to, the sen- to prom? What if you decide to ask that Hispanic guy out to senior girls? What if you decide you want to bring this Puerto Rican friend home? What if you decide that this black girl has invited you to her house and you really want to go? And when you say this to your parents, their answer is, I don't think so. What if that's your life? I'm going to tell you what I would say, but you're going to tell them I said this when they come at me. You don't say this sarcastically. You don't say this disrespectfully. And you don't say this out of anger. But I would have you say something like, Mom, Dad, remember that all of my time in like junior high and early high school, as you would tell me over and over, to want to worry about the friends who were in sin and not letting them influence me to sin? What if in this situation I think that's you? I don't say that sarcastically, and I'm not trying to make you angry, though I can see by that little twitch that I have. But I'm not trying to do that. I'm really asking me, what do you want me to do when I'm telling you what I think you're telling me I can't do is a sin against my God? And then you can let them listen to this, so it's all my fault. And then you can tell them to call me, and nobody will, so tell them to call Dave. Because you tell them Mrs. Ronslaven stories. I know you. Tell them to call Gary. Tell them to search the scriptures. Tell them to go to Ephesians 1 and 2. Tell them to go to Galatians 2. You could even tell them to start in Genesis and go all the way through Revelation until they get to the throne of Jesus Christ where they're surrounded by every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's going to take them a while and you'll graduate by then. Ta-da! Right? What I mean is you don't have to search and find the two verses about this. This is all through the Bible because it's something God has always cared about. But as you go to them, I hope that you're going after you've searched yourself first, just like I had to go to my life and search my life first as I thought about this for you. Let's become people who are willing to be the people of God on this earth who look like the Savior who came first to us. Break the barriers because he broke the barriers. Pray with me that this would be true. Father, we're asking that you would make this so, that you would give us such a vision of Jesus Christ and who he was for us, who, God, you are for us, the compassionate God, the outreaching God, the searching God, the one who crosses boundaries, breaks barriers in order to scoop us back, not to make us slaves, not just to have people being in our lives so we can just give to them as if we're lording above them, but you made us brothers and sisters of you, the Holy One, Help us to become like that image on the earth. I pray for these brothers and sisters of mine in this room that they would go forth and they would see people with dignity and significance and identity just because they breathe upon this earth. But Father, if they are your people, I pray that you would give us a heart of full fellowship for them, that we would count them as as just a generous grace gift of you that they are in our lives. Help us to weep. Help us to hear. Help us to go. For the name of Jesus Christ deserves to look this good upon the earth. We pray it. Amen. There are questions somewhere. I just realized you don't have much at your table. Are they back there? Oh, look at the time. Talk amongst yourselves and pray. Sorry. <laughs>